We are doing a few-week sermon series in various texts, a sort of Advent series. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. Uh, the other day I was uh, at the South Hill Mall, not my favorite place in the world, but I was there, and I was walking around and I noticed that there's Christmas music being played, and not the kind of Christmas music that like pop stars sing, not like the Christmas fluff about, you know, mistletoe and chestnuts roasting and that, that sort of thing, but like Jesus, like songs we sing here are just blaring at the mall. And I'm like walking by Cinnabon, which I'm pretty sure is what heaven is going to smell like. <laughs> and, you know, O Come, O Come, or O Holy Night, like the, these, these songs that are such rich in their theology, set in such beautiful poetic language, are just blasting in the radio or on the speakers in the ceiling. And I'm just walking around as everyone's walking by Old Navy and Target and whatever, and I'm like, is anyone offended by this? Does anyone realize what these songs are all about? Now, my, my guess is if you, even a person who doesn't grow up in church or if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, you, you know what Christmas, in general terms, is all about. It's about Jesus, the manger, nativity, shepherds. It's about the birth of the Christian Messiah. And yet, maybe it's just the nostalgia or maybe it's just the over-commercialization of Christmas, but it's weird when you think about it that you can just walk around a mall and there's worship songs being played and this is the only time of year that we can get away with it. Over the next few weeks, up to Christmas, we are going to look at a, three or four different texts in the New Testament all about the purpose and reason behind Christmas. Like, we, we can get the details about Christmas. We can kind of figure out what the history and the story of Christmas is. But harder than that is to think through, what does it all mean? And so we're in a cheesy way calling this sermon series the reason for the season. If you like cheesy, you can thank Ben later. He came up with it. I gagged a little bit when I just said it. Today we're going to look at one of the reasons for the season. One of the reasons, one of the purposes of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And that is in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Now, that is the context of this, but... I'm going to spend pretty much all of my time in verse 8. Verse 8, I'm just going to hang out there. Verse 8 says this, and all of our texts that we're going to look at in 8 kind of start this way. The reason the Son of God appeared, incarnation language, the reason, verse 8, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Why Christmas? What's the purpose of Christmas? What's the purpose of God's son appearing in the nativity story? What's the purpose of the manger? What's the purpose of all of this? John writes, the son of God appeared 
to destroy the works of the devil. And before I read the text, I just want to answer and ask, I want to ask two questions, and then I'm going to answer those two questions. I want to ask in this text, what did Jesus come to do? That's the what question. And then how he came to accomplish this, the how. So this sermon is kind of framed in two points, the what and the how of Christmas. And really, after I read this, I hope you see that the big idea, particularly in verse 8, is simply this, that Christmas means, the purpose of Christmas, the reason for Christmas, is that you no longer need to be afraid. And we'll see that, I pray, soon enough. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who the children of God and who the children of, who the children of God and Who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So what did Jesus come to do? At Christmas, John says that Jesus appeared to destroy something, to destroy the works of the devil. Pretty intense. Doesn't make its way into most Christmas songs. Uh, In 1983, and I think one of the reasons why, hopefully will become apparent soon, but in 1983, an author, M. Scott Peck, wrote a book entitled The People of the Lie. I'm guessing you haven't read this. It is a fascinating book. And the main thesis of this book is that evil is far more widespread than we can ever imagine. And so he spends pretty much the entire book explaining a lot of different ways in which evil isn't just something in the kind of 1% of society. Evil isn't just the thing that criminals do that, you know, the news stations love to display. That in many ways, evil is far more prevalent than we can ever imagine. And so he calls the book, or he titles the book, The People of the Lie, because the lie is thinking that we as individuals are better that we, than we are in fact are. That in one sense, the works of the devil are to help us assume that we are far better than we truly are. And I think that's what we do. Instantly, when we read this text, okay, Jesus came to, to destroy the works of the devil, we go, those are bad, 
those are outside, that's not me, I'm good. We instantly kind of have a category of genocide and racism and those just really, really bad, the biggies, and we say, yes, Jesus came to to get that stuff, to destroy those things, but we're not in those categories. We have a category for the works of the devil, and we have no part to play in those. John, when he uses that phrase, and it's an intense phrase, it's a purposeful phrase that he uses, he's not talking about a category of sin that none of us have participated in. And we know that because of the context. In verse 8, right before our sort of principal text, John writes this. Whoever makes a practice on sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So right here, right before kind of our phrase, right before... John explains the reason for the season. He says, sin is connected with Satan. They seem to be synonyms. And then if you go up to verse 5, that word appear that we have in our text, our verse, that word appear in verse 8 is the same word we see in verse 5. And there in verse 5 we read that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And I think those are just two different ways of describing the same reality. So, when John is talking about the works of the devil, that is a synonym, or that is another way of describing, or it's a a different type of metaphor to describe the same reality. That is, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, or another way we could describe it is, Jesus came to destroy sin. John's talking about the same reality. Which I think makes sense why John links sin and Satan. Those things are forever historically connected, aren't they? Go back in the garden, Genesis 3, and you find the devil tempting Adam and Eve to sin. So when someone commits a sin, another way of sort of describing sin, another metaphor is to say that it is cloaked in darkness. All sin is cloaked in darkness. Sin is a participation in darkness. Sin is a short word. It's a technical word. It is a theological word, but it is also an experiential word, isn't it? And the greatest lie might just be that sin is not as bad as we think it is. Sin is actually, in fact, connected to the works of the devil. So what is sin, then, that we must answer that before we kind of figure out what Jesus came to do and to destroy. Well, sin is first and foremost connected to God. We often just focus sin horizontally, thinking about, oh, I did this bad thing to this person. But ultimately, sin, biblically speaking, is always connected first and foremost to our relationship with God. It then has manifestations horizontal, but first and foremost, it is vertical. So sin, you see, is living and behaving as if we know better than God. We see that in the garden, the first sin, and we see it as it continues to play out into our world. Sin is saying, God, you say, but I'm not going to listen. Sin says, God, you claim that you're a king, I'm not going to bow. You claim that this is what's best, but I know better than you. Sin is believing that our law, our understanding of the law, our understanding of our rights to do what we want to do is better than God. Or as verse 4 says, sin is 
lawlessness. Sin is taking God's good, perfect, and glorious law and saying, I don't care what it says, I'm going to do my own thing, my own way. And I think it's clear that why John, or at least one of the reasons why John uses this phrase, the works of the devil, is that he wants to remind us of a few things. One of them is to realize how serious sin is. That all sin is demonic. And I know it sort of shocks our Western politeness, but I think that's the point. It's meant to sort of shock us into the reality that this is really serious stuff. All of our sin, whatever it is, the biggies to the smallies, are dark and deadly and dangerous and ought to, in one sense, frighten us. Sin is, since the garden, connected to the devil. And so in that sense, as bright and joyful as Christmas is, Christmas has a darkness to it. Christ appeared... He came on the stage of human history to destroy the works of the devil. Christmas is connected to Christ's destruction of sin. But I think another useful reason for us to consider is that this reminds us that all sin, because of its connection with Satan, deceives. Satan is that great uh, liar and tempter. He contorts things. Since Satan at his heart is a liar, one helpful imagery to kind of think through all sin is that sin always masks masquerade as goodness or truth. So often I think we think, oh, I, can, I know my own heart well enough, I know my own actions, I know my own behaviors well enough to spot my sin. But so often that's not the case. One of the reasons why John connects sin with Satan is to remind us of the deception of sin. When I was in my 20s, I remember I got a, a thing in the mail. I remember it was like, it came to my dorm room. I was really excited when you got mail. And I opened it up and it said, I won a free trip to go on a cruise somewhere warm. I mean, so you just have to remember, I'm poor and can't do this. And so I get this and I hit the jackpot. And I am really, really, really excited. I'm going to... Barbados. And so I read it over and over again. I'm like, tell my roommates. And then I read the like sort of last line, which says, so send in a check, a money order particularly, and then you can go on this trip. And I didn't see it, but a parent and a friend had to convince me that this was a scam. There's part of me that still wonders if it wasn't a scam. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure it was. And I bought the lie. We, there are lies all over the place. And sometimes a good lie is really hard to spot. All of us are susceptible to lies. And so John, when he connects sin with Satan, he's reminding us that all of us can fall prey to the lies, to various lies. And so often than not, I think that's the blessing of the church, that's the blessing of a family, that's the the blessing of friends, because sometimes we can spot lies in other people's lives better than we can spot them in our own lives. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil, and the works of the devil 
are always cloaked in deception. That's what makes them so dark. All sin blinds us. Sin makes a seeing person struggle with glaucoma. So, Satan in various ways, using various techniques, depending upon various personalities, he aims to get all of us to distrust God. And more often than not, Satan must mask his end in order to accomplish his means. He tries to distract us, and he is a magician of sleight of hands. And so at Christmas, John wants to remind us that we need to connect the darker side of our story, that sin is out there, and that more often than not, as it relates to our temptation to sin, sometimes we are, we're not just tempted to sin, we are blind to our sin. And that the good news is that Christ came to destroy sin, that is, destroy the works of the devil. Often we think of the word destroy as like a cease to exist. But more often than not, destroy doesn't mean a a ceasing of existing. It just means to make something unfit or to make something unfruitful. So the other, well, it was a few months ago, but uh, I was coaching a soccer game and we lost 10 to 2. And let me just tell you, losing 10 to 2 in soccer is being destroyed. And it would be right for me to say we got Destroyed, which does not mean that we are ceasing to exist or, or all of a sudden we were banned from the soccer field ever again. That's, that's I sort of wish, but no, no. It's just meaning that we were, in, in that sense, playing that team, we were unfit to play them. That's how we were destroyed. And that's the idea that John is describing when he says that he's destroyed these works. He's destroyed sin because sin still exists. Evil still exists. The devil still prowls. And so it cannot be that right now those have ceased to exist. Really, we can sort of translate it this way, that John, uh, the Son of God appeared to do away with the works of the devil. And so Christmas is a reminder that whatever power Satan has, whatever power sin holds, the power has been Destroyed in the sense that it has been made ineffective because of God's Son. So that's the what. The what is, what did Jesus do? He came to destroy, to make ineffective the works of the devil, which are sin. That's the answer to the what. But now the how. Like, how does this happen? And the answer is, one word, appeared. Jesus destroys the works of the devil Because of one word, appeared. The Son of God destroyed or made ineffective the works of the devil because he appeared in Bethlehem. He appeared in the incarnation. So just to reiterate, the problem is that humanity is under the domain of darkness. That's the problem. The the problem is that we are under the thumb of Satan. The problem is that humanity is in bondage to sin. The problem is that humanity at our heart is bent towards doing bad. Yes, we still have the image of God. We still do good things, and yet we still do bad things. The problem is we live in a doggy dog world. We view the world as a zero-sum game. The problem is humanity, as best as we try to be good, we so often fall prey 
to doing the exact thing that we shouldn't do. There's a lot of problems. But most of them aren't outside of ourselves. They're inside of ourselves. And our problem is far worse than we ever know. And the problem, it just can't be fixed by trying harder, doing better, becoming more pious. We need something outside of ourselves to fix us. And that really is the reason for the season. And that's why that word appeared is such a special word to those in Christ. God appeared. And his appearing fixes something. Christ's appearance does something. Christ's appearance destroys something. Our fundamental problem as humans is erased because of this appearance. His appearance matters, not just because we can all get together as, you know, with Christmas trees and sitting around the fire as chestnuts are roasting and we can boast about mistletoe or whatever. That's not why we celebrate Christmas and get excited about Christmas. His appearance is far better than that. But that word appearance, it's interesting that it just says, and the Son of God appeared. It doesn't say, the Son of God asked if it was okay to come into the world. He just appeared. This is a divine interruption. And we live in a world, the Northwest in particular, that does not like interruptions. Right? You do you, and I do me. This is, this is how I sum up when anyone from the South comes to the Northwest. I just go, this is, this is the Northwest. This is how I think about it. It's, let me do my thing. You can do you thing, your thing. Just don't let your life interrupt my life, and we'll be just fine. And yet, this says that God just showed up in the person of Jesus. He appeared. He didn't ask our permission. He just appeared and interferes. He just shows up and mucks up the world. He imposes himself on humanity. God's, God would not leave us alone. He wouldn't leave us in darkness. He wouldn't just let us learn our lesson the hard way. He appeared, never asking our permission. He just appeared. The king, the creator of all, the one who holds the keys to life and death, he appears. And his appearance does something. It says his appearance accomplishes something. His appearance destroys the works of the devil. His appearance destroys sin. Now, how does this happen? Was this like a a contest of wit, right? You have Satan and Jesus in one quarter and whoever's the smartest wins. Is this a contest of strength? Is it like, okay, we got the devil and Jesus and they're arm wrestling to see who's going to win? Is this a contest of the sword? Jesus takes up the sword and defeats him in single combat. How is it that Jesus actually accomplishes this? How does his appearance defeat sin and Satan? Well, there's a lot of ways that we can describe this. But let me just put it this way. This is the best way I can describe what John is getting at. Our deeds, our actions, our behaviors, they follow us. And I think we know this. Uh, One ill-spoken word that you wish you could take back. It doesn't just, you can't just grab it and say, oh, let's, there's a time machine that I never said that. It just, 
it's there and it can haunt a person for a long time, whether the person who spoke it or the person that received it. Our behaviors, our actions, our life, they, they, they follow us. And in a, and, and in a sense, that we are the sort of totality of what we've done, what we've experienced, what we've done to others and what others have done to us. And so what Satan does is he comes and he roots around in the backpack of our lives, pulls out something we've done, and says, look, you did this. That was not your best moment. And then he throws it not only in our face, but even far worse than that, he takes that, that vice, that behavior, that failure, that weakness, and he marches up to heaven and says, God, look at this. Look what he, look what she did. And by nature of that act, that man, that woman is in my domain. They're mine. Maybe you can think of it like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You remember that scene? Edmund, the traitor. And when he finally admits that he was treasonous, the witch says, his behavior gives me claim over him. He's mine. The Son of God came to defeat the works of the devil. What is, what is it that this does? Why does this appearance accomplish such an amazing feat. It's not just the manger because Jesus doesn't just defeat the works of the devil, that is sin, through the sword. He does it by being defeated himself. He interferes in Satan's plans and all his works. He interferes in our lives because we know we need something outside of ourselves to accomplish this. So we have Jesus, fully God, fully man. He appeared He just didn't stay in a manger, did he? He didn't just stay a baby. He just didn't stay quiet. He didn't just stay a fugitive on the run in Egypt. He appeared for a purpose. He appeared because he had a reason. He had a destination. He wasn't just going to stay in Bethlehem. His life was marching to Calvary. His appearance pointed to that moment when he would defeat the works of the devil, and he did this many years later when he died, when he was found guilty, and when he was killed. And this was no accident of history. This was no cruel luck of the draw. This was no fate in that sense, just up in the air. No, no, this was always the plan. God was going to destroy the works of the devil by God sending his own son to be destroyed himself. So Christ doesn't like grab the sword of heaven to defeat sin. It's not a hand-to-hand combat. Jesus Christ defeats the works of the devil by being defeated himself. It's by way of self-sacrifice. That's how he defeats the works of the devil. And then he does something in verse 9, which I'm just going to mention, which is amazing. Verse 9 tells us that having purchased our pardon in his death, he then takes men and women and unifies them to himself. He makes them new. He brings them from the kingdom of darkness, the the domain of Satan, into the kingdom of his beloved son. He makes them his son and daughter. So that, and this is the most amazing thing, such that when Satan then roots around in the backpack of our lives, pulls out a failure, a sin, that ill-spoken word, and parades it up to heaven and says, look, look what Stephen did today. (laughs) 
God says, Jesus died for that one and that one too. And you have no claim over him any longer. That's how Jesus defeats the works of the devil. That's how Jesus defeats sin. It means that Christ is our great lawyer, our advocate in heaven. We're no longer in the domain of darkness. If you put your trust and faith in the Christmas story, you are in his kingdom, robed in his perfection, sealed with his spirit, pardoned by his blood, vindicated by his resurrection, unified in faith, and persevered to the end in his power. The Son of God came to defeat the works of the devil. Yes, Satan is a serpent, but we must always remember that Christmas is a reminder that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And he leads the captives free from the dark kingdom to the kingdom of his light. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So, Christmas, I love Christmas, but Christmas is wrapped in a lot of superstitions, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of sentimentalized acts, and our society er, uh, tolerates it. Christmas is far more than this. It's a reminder that we don't have to fear We don't have to uh, fear guilt, accusations. We can be assured that in Christ, because of Bethlehem and Calvary, we can be assured that Satan can't use our sin against us any longer. We are assured of pardoned. We are forgiven. And we can live in light of that as new creatures in Christ's kingdom, doing good works, not perfect works, but good works, Because there's nothing like living free, living without the fear of condemnation. And that's the beauty of Christmas. We no longer need to fear. The works of the devil are no longer binding. The reason the Son of God appeared was purposed. So that we can sing what we sang earlier. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadow of the night and turn the darkness into light. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, we are thankful. Thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who appeared and he appeared taking on flesh in order to take on our sin. And Lord, we're thankful that, that whatever fears we might have that are legitimate, one fear today that we don't have to fear is that we are condemned in our sin. That faith in your son, Jesus, does many things for us, and one of the things that it does is it makes ineffective the works of the devil, his accusations in our lives. We are free. Help us to remember that this Christmas season. Help us to celebrate your great defeat of sin and Satan as we long for your return when you will consummate all things. 
We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.